Hello, and welcome to the Road from Emmaus podcast. I'm Jason Lowe, joined by Andrew Chow, and we are two totally ordinary Catholic guys hoping to share our journeys. Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we've each encountered Christ in our lives. Join us as we talk about what comes next. Andrew and I are back with another episode on the Eucharist. Today we talk about how Jesus is present in the Eucharist and how the bread and wine is truly his body and blood. We go through something called Lewis's Trilemma, as well as some instances of Eucharistic miracles. Then we go into the discussion of receiving the Eucharist on our tongue instead of on our hands, and why the traditional way is the way to go. So it's Thanksgiving this weekend. Mm-hmm. It's Thanksgiving, and I thought it would be nice to start our episode with a quick reflection or sharing on what we're each thankful for. Mm. Um, I'll go first, since I'm kind of springing this on you. But uh, I think the what I've been reflecting on maybe the last couple of months is just, I think, being thankful for the friendships that I've had. Mm. Um, so obviously yourself, but a lot of other friends. <laughs> <laughs> just just, just want to give you that affirmation. Thanks, man. <laughs> Uh, a lot of other friends um, who have been by my side for, you know, I guess years now. Sure. You know, obviously a lot of our mutual friends yeah. dating back to Western. Um, some friends even dating back to like high school or um, even JK. Mm. There's people that have remained in my life for all these years and mm-hmm. have seen me grow, have seen me go through various kinds of growing pains and phases yeah. in my life. And um, yeah, I don't think anything much more in particular, but I guess in the spirit of being grateful, I was just like, you know, I'm, it was kind of the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. I'm um, just thinking about the the people that have come into my life. And often we talk about people maybe coming and going into your life and, or going from your life. And that's fine too, right? God places people uh, in your life at different phases for various purposes. But mm-hmm. um, I think today I'm, I'm grateful for the people that have come and, and stayed in my life. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, um, what I've been reflecting on actually recently, particularly today, was uh, uh, just really a gratefulness for God's patience um, mm-hmm. with us. So um, the reading today, uh, we're not going to talk about this in our pod, but the, the gospel about the rich young man. Um, I was thinking about, you know, the silliness that God sees in us mm-hmm. in our own attachments to this world. And, like, the commitments that we make and the frequent falls that we make and just how, like, you know, there's so many things that, like, I've committed to that, that you know, I haven't been following through with and, and what have you. And just, like, the patience that God has with mm. us, I've been, like, really, really grateful for. Um, beyond that, I think I'm just really grateful that I have people around me who both cherish me, love me, and challenge me. Mm. Um, I think it's such a blessing to be able to like have the comfort to always feel loved and never question whether or not I'm loved, but also yeah. people who that's definitely been part of my reflection mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, but also people who like don't let me settle and know sure. like that I should be going further. So I think I've been really really grateful for those things. For sure, for sure. So speaking of people that cherish us, Jesus is one of those people, <laughs> absolutely. And I think that's today uh, what we want to talk about. We had a we had an episode uh, I think back in April. Mm-hmm about the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to kind of continue on and, and you know, put together another um, discussion about, about the Eucharist. And today specifically, I think we want to talk about um, what's called the true presence or the real presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll go into that a bit. And I think really what actually sparked this uh, as a bit of a teaser uh, without going into it so soon 
is maybe the the discussion of whether or not we should be receiving Eucharist on our hands. Mm. Um, and, you know, so we'll leave that there for now. Um, but before we get into that particular question or that particular discussion, um, I think it'd be good to talk about just, again, like I said, the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, right? Because before we try to tackle the question of whether or not we should be receiving the Eucharist on the hands, which is totally normal nowadays, mm. especially within the, the context of COVID, that's, mm-hmm. that's all we're doing. Um, before we talk about that, it would be good to talk about how within the communion host that we receive every Sunday or every day, whenever you go to daily mass, um, uh, it is Jesus himself mm-hmm. that, who is in your hands. So um, I, I think, you know, going into that kind of fundamental level will help us to understand things first. Yeah. How and answer the question of like, how can this unleavened bread, this flat host that is like two inches in diameter, probably less than that. Um, how can that truly be Jesus kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so for me, when I, when I was trying to think through this, right, how can we possibly prove, I guess, that Jesus is within that bread, mm-hmm. right? Which is a, a core belief within our faith. Um, and for me, it boils down to two things. The first thing is that it was God himself who said this. It was mm-hmm. Jesus himself who said this. Uh, we'll go into that a bit. And the second thing is, I think just, uh, Science as well has kind of shown through some Eucharistic miracles yeah. uh, that it hasn't been, there have been a few instances in, in the history of, of our world that science has not been able to prove why this host has actually become a, a body in, in flesh and, yeah. and blood. So go into the, to those two things here. Um, for those who listened to our episode back in April, when we did talk about the Eucharist, you brought up uh, this Bible passage, John chapter six. Um, verse 51 and 53. I'll read those again. Um, so this is Jesus himself talking um, in front of a crowd of Jews. Um, and he says, again, verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Um, I think it's actually interesting. If you were to read all of chapter six, um, Jesus says that he is the bread of life, like anywhere from four to nine times, Mm -hmm. depending on how you look at it, like almost 10 times uh, in verses 35, 48, 51, and then between 53 and 58 in each of those verses, he actually basically alludes to how he is the bread of life, Mm -hmm. how he gives us eternal life. Now, I think one of the first things that a lot of people um, or doubters might say is like, you know, how, like, just because this guy is saying that he is the bread of life yeah. doesn't mean that that is actually true, right? Mm-hmm. So so for us, it might be easy to believe. It's, it's easy to believe because we believe that Jesus is God in, in, mm-hmm. in the Holy Trinity, right? He is the second person, the son within the Holy Trinity, um, which is God. Um, but like others who may doubt whether even Jesus is god himself they might say like can't jesus you know he sure like he's been this great preacher he's been this great guy um certainly i i read about him in the bible um but i don't quite believe that he's god but i i can accept the fact that maybe he's just a really good moral teacher right and i think uh in thinking about the whole moral teacher thing um c.s lewis has a really good uh i don't know if it's like a trilemma yeah it's called a trilemma and so basically c.s lewis says Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or a lord. You have yeah. to look at him as one of those three things. 
right? When, when talking about whether or not you believe Jesus is God or whether you know, whether or not you believe the teachings of Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. If he's a lunatic, then he would essentially just be a madman for like spouting these things to yeah. like a world full of people. And that wouldn't make him a very good moral teacher if he's mm -hmm. just running around kind of crazy. Um, if he's a liar, similarly, that also wouldn't make him a good moral teacher. If he's a liar, it would kind of, um, it would kind of mean that he's probably uh, from the enemy, right? Yeah. From Satan, from the devil, could be the, the devil himself. Come to earth to fool us, to distract us from the truth, from who is truly God, yeah. right? Because he's saying, um, I am quote unquote God, look at me instead of the real God, right? Yeah. So, to, you know, that's the kind of second part of the trilemma is he would be a lunatic or he would be a liar. Yeah. But if he, if you don't think he is either of those things, the last remaining logical conclusion conclusion is that he is Lord. Yeah. That he is God, that he is who he says he is. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously that's that's the bucket that we fall in. Yeah, it, it's really funny too because like this particular trilemma, um, I feel like we brought it up before, but if you go in and actually find the C.S. Lewis quote, it's felt relatively easy to find. Just like literally Google Lewis trilemma and then you'll find the quote there. Um, he's much more to the point than we are. He, In essence, the Coles note is like, don't call God a moral teacher. Like, don't be that rude to him, mm -hmm. right? You can not believe him, but like to only believe part of what he says, like that is, that is just literally rude to him. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, uh, it's quite interesting because, you know, really calls to question how much of the stuff we actually particularly pay attention to. Um, I love this, this quote again that we brought up or this passage in, in John, because, um, and this comes up frequently enough in in, uh, in homilies these days, but um, in this bread of life discourse or the mm -hmm. the bread of life, uh, bread of life dialogues, um, this particular passage, verse uh, fifty three, when he's when he doubles down, right? This is the one where, and I can't remember the Greek word for it, but like he goes into a really physical um, and and very very. Uh, descriptive way of saying eat right so yeah. like from when we when we look at it in the english translation it just has he just says twice unless you eat my flesh yeah um and it's just like all right well like he said the same thing twice like what's the big deal but like in the greek like he doubles down he uses he goes from like a tacit eat to a like gnaw chew right yeah and it's just like this was like really radical and you know, to say that he was just a moral teacher is kind of weird when you look at this. Like, why would a moral teacher talk about, like, something like that. right? Like, yeah. you got to, like, chew on my flesh. It's yeah. like, that's kind of weird, right? Yeah. It's not something you'd hear Jordan Peterson say, for example, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, so this is kind of where Lewis is really pointing out, like, listen, like, do your homework. Look at what he says because he doesn't leave room for us to kind of say right. some are some are and some aren't he's really doubled down so uh that episode that i mentioned that we did in april you mm -hmm. brought up the exact same thing right. you also didn't know at the time the greek <laughs> word so this time i am ready for that um and so the the normal word in greek for eat is phage yeah the word that we didn't know at the time um which means gnaw or chew as you brought up is trogo 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 so um yeah like yeah if you were to read that uh, the original translation i guess uh, you would definitely that that meaning would hammer home a yeah. bit more than you know in the English way where it's just oh eat and eat right for sure. Um, so you know I think that's the first thing where where when we're thinking about the Eucharist is Jesus himself truly present as God 
Well, yeah. I mean, you have to believe what God is saying. Or, or you don't, right? Maybe you don't. Um, but assuming you don't think that he's a liar, assuming you don't think that he's a lunatic, then you, you believe that God is saying that what he's saying is true. Mm-hmm. Um, now, moving into kind of the, the more scientific space, not that that's my, my strength. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm always intrigued by the idea of Eucharistic miracles. So mm-hmm. there have actually been like over a hundred documented Eucharistic miracles um, over the last couple millennia. Um, I'll highlight a couple just because I think they're uh, kind of interesting for the purposes of our discussion. The first one is 1976. Um, so about 35 years ago, scientists from the World Health Organization and from the United Nations, so no one particularly affiliated with the Vatican or anything, um, they it, it's a bit of a longer story, but in their possession, they had bread and wine mm-hmm. from 750 AD. Mm-hmm. So this was like 1,200 years ago, basically, at the time. So they had conducted over 500 tests, right? So really, really stringent, thorough tests on that bread and wine from 750 AD. Mm-hmm. And they concluded that there was the presence of human blood and that that human blood was the type AB, which is super rare, which is supposed to be the blood type of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't know much more beyond that, but that, that's what I've read at least. Um, and so, yeah, there's there the presence of human blood. There's the presence of human tissue, right, on this bread and wine. And in their results, in their conclusions, what they published was that um, a formal statement of science, aware of its limits, has come to a halt face to face with the impossibility of giving an explanation. So, again, scientists from the World Health Organization and the UN Mm -hmm. um, kind of going out of the way to admit that, like, they couldn't figure out what was going on with this bread from 1200 years ago that had actually turned up as human blood and tissue. Mm -hmm. Um, The... Second one, or actually, yeah, the the second instance that I want to bring up here is a very recent one. So this happened in Poland in 2013. Um, It's it's a bit of a simpler story, but basically a communion host was dropped, right? You know, I'm sure they were just having regular mass and, you know, the Eucharistic minister probably just accidentally dropped the host or the the, um, person receiving it. Yeah, yeah. whatever. Now, when that happens, the normal course of action, just kind of out of reverence for, you know, God being present in the host is to take that host and put it into water Mm -hmm. and then the water will dissolve it. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much it. But instead of the host dissolving, when they went back to check on it, it, they found that it had started bleeding, Mm -hmm. Uh, that it had started bleeding. And so they brought this host to the, um, to both the Vatican and independent scientists. Mm -hmm. And again, the heart, the the, the host showed heart tissue, right? Mm -hmm. So heart tissue, presence of blood, um, and so that happened in Poland in 2013. And just as the last one, the exact same thing happened in Argentina in 1996, um, where they placed a host in water to try to dissolve it. And it ended up becoming blood and human tissue. Mm-hmm. That was actually overseen by um, Archbishop Jorge Bergoglio, who is today Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. Um, so he witnessed that Eucharistic miracle as well. So I like, you know, j- just for me, I'm sure I'm biased, right? But it really kind of hammers home the point of how Jesus is truly present as God in that communion host. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's um, it's always an assumption that's made, which I find an interesting one, that like uh, that the church is opposed to science. Um, but, you know, in a lot of ways, we talked about the saints before as well, um, and, and the way that miracles are verified for saints. You know, really, there's a mm-hmm. lot of that in- interplay between science and religion a lot of times. And, mm. and you know, I think... At the end of the day, um, to try and prove or disprove 
uh, in a sense, and this is kind of what we're going to get into in a second, uh, kind of takes away from the point. Because the point isn't necessarily whether or not this is true, right? Like, there's a real reason why, as Catholics, we talk about this so much. There's a real reason why in Vatican II, they talked about the Eucharist source and summit. Mm-hmm. They didn't say the source and summit is the fact that the Eucharist is, is the true presence. They mm-hmm. said that the Eucharist in its existence is the source and summit of the goodness in our faith. And so I guess like where we want to go now is like, what's the point? Like, why do we believe in this stuff? And, and you know, to me, um, there, there's a lot to unpack here. But at the end of the day, this is capturing the entirety of the Christian thing. Yeah. Right. I don't remember if I brought this up in the episode in April, but uh, a reflection that I'd had um, a while ago, a year ago now, um, just pre-COVID, was on how the bread, when it's brought into mass, right, as as the host or what have you, mm-hmm. um, is literally just a thing of the earth, mm-hmm. right? It's the most imperfect, if you will, thing ever. Yeah. Uh, most plain, most ordinary, it's bread, right? So, like, bread is so plain that, like, when we talk about things being plain, we say it's like white bread. So, like, <laughs> you know, like, that's how plain this thing is. Yeah. But the the promise is that in the instant of the consecration, in that moment of transubstantiation, it becomes perfection. Right? Its substance becomes perfection yeah. and becomes the epitome of what we're pursuing. So, like, another way of thinking of that is, like, the entire journey that we have from our imperfection and birth up until our perfect union with God, that whole journey is captured in that moment. So, like, witnessing that to me is so precious because... No matter where I am, there's something I can gain about what I need to do, or there's there's kind of a refocus on where I need to go that's in the Eucharist. And that's only valuable if it is the true presence. So mm-hmm. that to me is like that's why it's so important that the true presence is there, is that I'm witnessing what I want to experience. It's not just us going to mass and like consuming, you know, whether it's a piece of bread, whether it's God, it's not just us consuming him and being in communion with him. Mm-hmm. But no, it's something much more magnified and greater than that. Like mm-hmm. you said. Um, how, but what that actually represents in in a in a grander scheme, mm-hmm. um, that whole kind of what we said at the time was mapping to the interior life, yeah. almost of of how we are being made perfect yeah. through being in communion with God. Um, for more on that, we did basically you actually just gave a good synopsis of our, our episode back in <laughs> April. Um, it's called the Source and the Summit. So go go check that out if you do want to listen to that uh, more in full. Um, but yeah, like you like you said, you know the the point of believing in the true presence. For me, after kind of having established that the commune host is Jesus himself, Mm -hmm. it's kind of funny because we're having this conversation kind of nonchalantly, but like in many ways, it should be a dramatic, sharp realization if you didn't realize before that like when you go to receive the Eucharist, you have God himself in your hands. You have Jesus himself. You are about to be in physical and spiritual communion with our creator, with the person who died for us to save us from our sins, to give us a chance at eternal salvation. Mm-hmm. Like we should be on our knees in reverence yeah. and in awe and in worship, which is, I mean, what, which is what we do in the middle of mass. Yeah. And that, that's why, right? That's why, because we're preparing ourselves to be in communion with Jesus. Yeah. The, like the, the analogies that we see for this all throughout church history are, are endless, right? But like one that really comes to mind for me when we talk about this is is our namesake, right? The the road. Did I talk about this in April too. I don't think so. <laughs> the the road. So our our namesake for this pod is the road from Emmaus, right? But in the original story, the road to Emmaus uh, in Luke or wherever it is, um, they talk about how 
um, in the breaking of the bread, you know, the disciples realized that it was Jesus. And it was in that moment that Jesus disappeared, right? Yeah. So just that particular snippet of that story is so impactful in terms of us understanding the Eucharist because the the whole prelude to that moment was the disciples sad because Jesus wasn't with them anymore. Yeah. Right. We thought that this was, and this was like the Jewish understanding of salvation at that time was delivery from the Romans and victory for Israel. Mm -hmm. Right. And what we've learned since then is that it's salvation for humankind and a continued salvific history or a continued theodrama of us pursuing mm -hmm. that salvation. Right. So, you know, this is kind of that correction happening gently in this story is, you know, these disciples had misunderstood the promise, had thought, oh my goodness, I thought this was going to be it. He's dead now. What do we do now? We got to move on. He's not with us anymore. And then they recognize he is still here. But in that moment, the bread is broken and he disappears, meaning that I am with you mm -hmm. in the breaking of the bread. Mm -hmm. right? And that, that's like so, so crucial for our understanding of this because Again, it's 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 all coming full circle, right? You know, when you talk about at the beginning of the episode, um, you know, whether you believe this or not, look, if you just look at this one thing, and I think we said this before, you look at any part of Catholicism in a vacuum, like it doesn't make sense yeah, on its own. For sure. And so it's like coming full circle with like, why do we pursue virtue? Why are we talking about the interior life at all? And then why do we come back to Mass on Sundays? The Eucharist ties all of it together mm. because... This is us realigning our way to God. This is us recognizing God is with us, journeying with us, and giving us what we need in this moment. So, you know, it's just, I could go on and on, clearly, but like, it's it's such a key piece of, of this puzzle. So I'll give you something else to go on and on about then. <laughs> um, so we, we opened this episode with a bit of a kind of a teaser about yeah. the discussion of receiving the Eucharist on our hands mm -hmm. versus receiving it on the tongue. Yeah. Why is this a discussion? What is kind of the difference between the both? So this, um, to give a little bit even more context, this only became a thing in recent history. I want to say it was in Vatican II, um, where, where uh, essentially it became not even recommended, okay, for Catholics to receive um, the, the Eucharist on their hands. So pre-council, pre uh, essentially, there was, not, there, there was one way to receive, it was at not just on the tongue. It was on the communion rails, mm -hmm. um, on your knees, on the tongue. That's how you received the mm -hmm. Eucharist. And then it was it was post council when we when we reached uh, the um, oh my goodness, uh, Novus Ordo is when when basically we we started to have this okay you can uh, I think uh, receive on, on the hands or maybe even after that. Mm -hmm. But anyways, um, so why is this so important? Well. I think there's a really key question here. When we talk about the real presence of the Eucharist, the question is how much of the host needs to be there for it to be the true presence of the Eucharist? Mm -hmm. If you receive half a host, is that still Jesus? If you receive a corner of half a host, is that still Jesus? If you receive the crumb from the snapping of the, of the host, is that still Jesus? Mm -hmm. And I think like if any of you haven't sat with that question before, do it. And what you have to realize, like, no matter how you slice it, it's like, this doesn't make sense. This whole concept doesn't make sense unless all of it is fully Jesus. Not just, like, when I get in half, I got half, like, like his right hand here, his left hand here. It's like, it doesn't work that way, right? It's just, it has to be all of it is fully his existence. So then all of a sudden, it's like, 
all right, well, what's happening with the crumbs? Mm-hmm. Do I even think about that? Mm-hmm. Do I actually give the Eucharist the reverence it deserves in all of this entirety? Do I even understand how important this is, right? Because if it's just something that I receive and I eat just like anything else, then like, yeah, like, you know, in a lot of ways, like if I eat a sandwich, like I'm not worried about the crumbs because I don't really care, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. It's just what happens, happens. But like now, if this is the source of our faith, if this is Jesus in my hands, then like, yeah, I really care about all of this. And that's kind of where it goes, right? It's like, when you think about how most people receive the Eucharist, and this was me for years and years and years, mm-hmm. um, you receive it on your hands, then you pick it up, and then you put it into your mouth, and then you chew or you don't chew or whatever, mm-hmm. and then that's kind of it. And then you like you know, pat your hands over it maybe or what mm-hmm. have you. And it's just like, well, what's going on there? Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's like, Mike, I'm just patting Jesus off my hands. Yeah. Right? Like, how is that? Like, why have I been kneeling for half an hour Mm -hmm. if now this is all I need to do? So this is where I think it becomes really important. It's like, well, how, why do people still receive on the tongue? You and I both know people who still receive on the tongue Mm -hmm. and who are really irked that we can't receive on the tongue right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's exactly it, right? The, the, The question is, am I giving an opportunity for Jesus to not be consumed in the way that he wanted it to be? Am I giving the opportunity for irreverence to Jesus in my action? And the answer when you receive in your hands is yes, Mm -hmm. you are giving that option. So those are my thoughts. (laughs) I I wonder which side of the aisle you said. No, and I think the point is not to necessarily go into this like all the way down to like, you know, quantum physics, right? Like, you know, every single, but at the same time, we have to recognize that it is true. Like it probably, probably in a quantum physics level, again, stuff I totally don't understand, uh, that whatever quantum physics equivalent part of the communion would be, uh, is still Jesus. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, I think, you know, on a, on a level that we can process it and understand, like the crumbs are very, very real. The particles on your hands are very, very real, Mm -hmm. um, that are left over. Something I learned from being an altar server uh, was that, you know, the priest, when he is cleaning up the altar after um, after giving up the Eucharist and everything, like he has, he's supposed to be pretty careful in terms of making sure that every little crumb is washed off of um, the patent, I believe is the mm-hmm. term, um, into the chalice so that he can consume every, again, every little crumb with the, with the water that he's cleaning it with. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you are supposed to be very careful, not just careful for the sake of being careful, but because it's reverence. Yeah. Like make your best effort, right? Yeah. It's not like there's going to be someone <laughs> coming in and, you know, having an inspection, but, um, make your best effort. Like really the point here is like, if you haven't thought about it, think about it. And, and then with COVID, like understandably yeah. out of charity, we, we, we receive on our hands right now. And, and, you know, I'm not going to go and be like, everyone needs to just like, you know, turn that around necessarily as much as I might love that. But it's little things like, okay, like when I receive it on my palm, am I now introducing another point of contact with my hand? Yeah. And then what am I doing with those two? So what I do personally is when I receive it on my hand, I'll use my other hand to remove my mask and I'll just go straight into my mouth with with the host and i'll actually lick my palm after mm-hmm. to like get any crumbs that are there and there's always crumbs actually mm. like 100 percent of the time there's always crumbs there and it's just like all right like let me make sure that i'm making my best effort and like i'm not gonna like be a slob and like be like <laughs> disgusting about it but it's just like do the things you know um it's funny you bring up the priest thing because like oh my goodness if there are any religious listening and if you care about our opinion um <laughs> <laughs> uh just like 
the priests who don't take that yeah. care it actually becomes a huge distraction for me yeah so so me here too. here's something that like you guys can pay attention to hold your religious accountable this is this is sure. becoming a new thing but um the priests who actually are paying attention to this are the ones who you'll notice from mm-hmm. when the consecration happens their hands are mm-hmm. like this for the rest until they actually clean the chalice and everything their hands are like this the whole if you're time. not watching on youtube andrew is holding his index finger and his thumbs on both of his hands together just to form a circle together yeah like um, the okay sign and do you want to explain why why they do that so why they do this is because basically those are the only two fingers they use to actually interact with the host through the entire process of the consecration preparation of the gifts and all of it and so basically they're when they're pinching each other there's no chance that crumbs fall out from that anywhere that's other than what's called the corporal which is basically the mini tablecloth for um, yeah for for when they're going through um the uh, the liturgy of the Eucharist. So, you know, you'll see, like, and it looks really awkward sometimes. Like, they'll hold the chalice with the other three fingers, mm-hmm. and, like, it's, like, a real skill. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, you'll see priests, when they are moving between sections, they'll rub, um, they'll, they'll wipe down their thumb and their finger very intentionally yeah. on yeah. the corporal to make sure that any crumbs are coming off. Like, Or even um, when they when they are washing uh, the the chalice and the saboria and the pen and all that mm-hmm. afterwards, they'll actually pour with again those other fingers over their fingers first. Mm-hmm. Cardinal Collins is always very very good with this. Mm-hmm. Um, little things like that are just showing that same level of reverence, right? That um, I think like none of us have an excuse to not reverence. But when this happens for the religious, again, if you're any religious listening, like. This does irk some of us laity, <laughs> um, and it becomes a distraction. Well, right? it's also leading by example. It right? is. It's true. It's true. Um, so, yeah. So, I think that hopefully that's something to give you um, guys to think about. Just, you know, if you haven't thought about it before, uh, how much reverence are you um, giving? And are you giving your best effort when you are going up to receive the Eucharist, right? Mm-hmm. So, similar to you, um, I've now actually started uh, also eating it straight from my palm. But I also try to receive on my knees, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I'm... I'm we're, we are in COVID, but we are able to receive on our knees, on your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, you know, these little things that you might feel like, I don't know, you might fa- feel they're ritualistic or you might feel like they're just doing it for the sake of doing it. But no, like it's, it's because we want to show Jesus our, our, our best, um, I don't know, our best effort, our best self. Well, at the end of the day, all of these are, are also to help us get into the right mindset as well. You know, there's, um, and, and we'd lo- I think we, we should probably have a guest to talk about this at some point, but there are these concepts, you can Google at home, guys, um, that are <laughs> called uh, ex opere operato and ex opere operantis, which is, in essence, long story short, it's the um, implicit grace in something that's happening, the implicit grace that's available in the Eucharist. And there's the amount of grace that's actually received because of the holiness of the person actually going through the action, right? So these are these are two really, really important concepts. And in essence... By doing this, we're reminding ourselves to be open in a particular way to receive the grace that we need to receive, right? So call it ritualistic or call it what have you, it's fine, but there is still a reason for it, right? Uh, Bishop Barron, we haven't referenced him in a while, Mm -hmm. um, he talks about how in his parents' generation, particularly on this topic, in his parents' generation, kneeling or genuflecting before entering a pew was something that was so ingrained that they did it at the movie theaters. Right. But like this is something that's like <laughs> important for us, you know, to like remind ourselves of where we're at. So yes, in some ways, getting on your knees doesn't change what you're receiving, mm-hmm. but it changes the way that you receive it. Mm-hmm. And that's 
equally important, right? Ex opere operato, ex opere operantis. Am I holy enough to receive the grace that I should be receiving? And if not, time to grow in virtue, time to go to confession, time to do all the things so that I can receive more of that grace. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, anything else you want to go into? No. Okay. You've gone off enough. I've gone off enough. Um, a couple of thoughts that I wanted to leave you guys with is, you know, if some of us, you know, maybe hesitant to receive the Eucharist within these times of COVID, some of us may be even hesitant to go to mass uh, still because that disposition is still granted for you to dispensation. Thank you. Um, to just watch mass instead of actually attending and, and receiving Jesus. I would just encourage you, you know, if you fall into those buckets, um, maybe try to reconsider. I think, uh, again, we, the whole purpose of the last half an hour has been to try to really um, establish, you know, we've been talking about the true presence, the real presence, that God, Jesus himself, is present in the Eucharist. That is why we're going to Mass. That is why we're receiving him. And, you know, I don't want to beat around the bush, but essentially, Jesus should trump everything else in your life. And that can be a hard teaching to swallow. That is the Catholic and the Christian life. But that can trump you know, you could say that you're risking your own health, right? Mm-hmm. We're moving towards a, a space where that's that's less of a risk now with, you know, full vaccination checks and, right. you know, things like that and masks and, and social distancing, all that stuff. So we are, you know, you those those things are, are good considerations as well. But just in general, you know, the moment I remember last, I believe it was last June when churches opened up again, I was like getting my butt there. Yeah. Um, I guess not to do the virtue signaling thing, but because I wanted to go and, and be in communion with Jesus, because yeah. that is more important than my own health. You know, this is just our own like earthly health that we're talking about. Exactly. You have to take about your spiritual, think about your spiritual health as yeah. well. It's more important than my own health. It's more important than my family members health as well. Mm-hmm. Again, I know that's a hard thing to kind of digest, but it is true. It is true. And Jesus and God will take care of you and your family members as well, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, just try to keep that in mind in terms of whether you're hesitant about going to Mass or, or even receiving the Eucharist. Um, and I think also on the topic of the true presence, you know, I, I read a statistic somewhere that 70% of Catholics actually be, uh, have trouble believing in the true presence. So, again, if you fall into that category, um, that's totally understandable. It's it's hard. Uh, this John chapter 6 passage, the entire passage more or less is the Jews wondering what Jesus is talking about when he's yeah. saying, eat my flesh, eat my body and blood. Um, it's it's not just you, right? Like it's 70% of Catholics. It's these people in the Bible uh, in front of Jesus that Jesus is preaching to. Um, just, you know, pray about it and open yourself to the Holy Spirit, uh, maybe transforming your heart and, and helping you to understand that, you know, Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist. Yeah. And, and you know what, like that last piece as well, I think that, that I brought up, uh, the ex opera operato, ex opera apprentice, um, you know, this is something that you might not have heard before. And this is a piece that, you know, part of the sadness of the 70% numbers that a lot of the time is because questions are left unanswered. And so this is kind of where, we try, we try to approach this episode less from me, just here, let me just tell you again that it's true, but like, this is why it's important in the grand scheme of our faith, right? Like, these are the reasons why. And, you know, a lot of the times what's probably happening is we're told that the Eucharist is this wonderful thing, but when I receive it, nothing feels yeah. different, mm-hmm. right? That's totally understandable. And that's where the mature Catholic thing to do is to say, am I receiving it properly? Right. And if you've gone through this, if you've had this experience where I've received the thing, didn't really get anything, but everyone says that's supposed to be a miraculous deal. 
fine, that could all, everything could still be true. Mm-hmm. You know, you could be in, in, entirely valid in saying you received nothing, right? While other people are in, in particularly valid saying that there's something to be received, find out what that blocker is and see if you can get rid of it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of the growth of being Catholic. And and that's the promise. The promise isn't that immediately upon receiving every time, it's going to be a, a, amazing. The promise is as you work to grow as a Catholic, you will receive more and more of what's there. So Andrew and I started off the episode talking about things that we're thankful for. Uh, we're both thankful for you guys listening today, listening to our episodes always. Um, and yeah, you know, I think the interesting thing is, you know, we always talk about how we don't pay attention to viewership numbers and download mm-hmm. counts and things like that. We don't. But I will tell you that I'm pretty sure this particular episode will have one of the lower viewership numbers. Mm-hmm. And I guess I would encourage you guys to actually, uh, you know, maybe share this, this particular episode because of how important it is. This mm-hmm. particular core t- fundamental teaching to our faith, um, you know, share this or, or, or spread the word in terms of like, you know, what did you learn? Um, talk to your own Catholic, Christian, non-Christian friends about it um, because, you know, we're grateful that you followed along. But we are also, we would be even more grateful if you are able to take this away and, and it's something that can transform your own, the way you view Jesus. In, and in, and in if there's something that we touched upon, that we touched upon lightly that you want us to dive further into, let us know too, right? Like, I, you know, we can we can go off again. But, For sure. Um, but yeah, there's so much in this topic that we haven't talked about. And if I didn't spend half the episode rehashing last episode, then we, would, <laughs> we would have had more. But. That's fine. That's, that's half of our episodes anyway. <laughs> All right, so that's it from us today. Um, Hope everyone does have a good Thanksgiving weekend, and you'll hear from us next time. Take care, everyone.